ከመይ 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 ጽቡ አደና ለና ደንዲዮ ደን ደን ወይ ሳርማ ደንጎ ይመስለኝ አይ ዶንት ኖ ዩ ጀስት ሰድ ማይ ትግሪን ኢዝ ኖት ዳት ጉድ ኦ ኖ ዌይ ሱ ዌይ ኦኒ ላይክ አ ሚኒት ኦኬ አንኮል ሃው አር ዩ አይ ካን ኮምፕሊት ማን ጀስት ኖ ኢስ ጋት ተ ቸርች ሬኖ Okay, you just got to uh, see this man he's doing his thing. Um hello everybody. I guess we'll maybe like wait one more minute. We got a we got a decent amount of people. But uh today uncle we're going to be talking about the Aksumite Empire. Beautiful. But we're just going to be doing like a general overview because there's a lot of stuff of course. Our history, history is long. Is long. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll just wait like one more minute. I guess we got enough people. We can start now. If you guys want to share with people who uh are interested in that kind of stuff, you can do that. Okay. So to start us off, um we're going to talk about uh the Aksumite Empire. The Aksumite Empire started from I'm just looking at my notes over here, don't mind me. From 80 BC to 1000 BC. Could have started uh earlier based on what we know people kind of say roughly 80 BC. um the exact end date is not known um and it's you know people have debate but i just put 1000 bc because it's a nice uh sorry 1000 bc what's wrong with me 1000 ad so 1000 years ago because that's a nice clean number but it's 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 contested um okay so at the beginning of the aksumite empire we don't really have you know a lot of knowledge about what was going on at that time but we know that it was starting to expand in the first 100 200 years because we have most of our knowledge of the Aksumite uh, empire comes from inscriptions in the first few hundred years so they would mount stelae and things like that so stelae are like you know the big rocks and they would write inscriptions on them and that would tell us about stuff that was going on in the Aksumite area so that's modern day Tigray and Eritrea and also in the South Arabian kingdom so the South Arabian kingdoms would be modern day um uh yemen uh, western yemen um is there anything you can tell us about this period uh, uncle yeah so as, as you as you said earlier we don't really know the origins and the end date to the aksumite period the conservative numbers say it ended probably somewhere in the 900s a more uh, larger number would probably be 11th century so uh 10th century would probably or 1080 would be the perfect uh uh liberal i guess uh, attestation for uh, what had happened uh and as you said you know we only have inscriptions that we can kind of go off of so we don't oh sorry so we don't really know uh the origins mm-hmm. what we can say though is of course there there are inscriptions in places like like you mentioned in yemen uh even southern saudi arabia um, sudan even probably going all the way up to uh Egypt at uh, different time periods. Mm-hmm. Uh but ultimately we do know that the that they were Hellenized, meaning that they had some knowledge of Greek and Greek mm-hmm. philosophy. And we also know that there's a, a strong Sabian presence in the region. So mm-hmm. to the point that we we knew the language, Sabian was a language spoken in the Aksumite uh in the Aksumite empire. 
to what extent, again, also, we don't really know. You know, there's also debates where people are saying, were the Sabians just a, col a small colony in certain parts of the country? Were they a dominant group of people? Were they influential? You know, so uh, I think scholars are now coming to the understanding that they were only probably there for a few decades, but yeah. uh, the cultural impact was probably significant. So the Sabian religion being there, uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, what else do we know? So the Aksumite Empire eventually turned into a, a trading empire. So when you move away from the early period into this sort of like away from like the first, second, third century until we hit um, roughly around, um, th there's an emperor called, and his name is in the way it's written, because we got to remember at this point in time, Giz didn't have vowels. It's G-D-R-T. So I just say Gedaret, but I don't know the exact uh, way it's, it, it should be, you know, spoken or said. I think there's some um, speculation that it's a, a Giz name. I don't know if you know. Do you know what, do you know which empire I'm talking about? I, I, I have a, an understanding of who it is. Like you mentioned, we don't, we don't know because it's prior to the Nugusizana. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the, tra the, the traditional reading of his name that uh, I guess scholars kind of just go with is, as you mentioned, Gedaret. Okay. Um, but um, there's an inscription, an important, there's a lot of inscriptions. I'm not going to go over all of them because um, there's a lot, a lot of them. But there's an interesting inscription from the period of Gera, from the time of Gera, which is spe speculated to be roughly like 100-ish AD to 200-ish AD, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's a way, we don't know ex the exact time. And it goes, uh, after I had commanded the peoples near my country to maintain the peace, I entered valiantly into battle and subdued the following peoples. I fought the Gaze, then the Agame, then the Siguene, and having conquered, I reserved for myself half of their lands and their peoples. The Awa and Singabene and Agabe and Tiama and Adago and Kala and the Samene people who live beyond the Nile in accessible mountains covered with snow where tempests and cold are continuous and the snow so deep that a man sinks up to the knees. I reduced to submission after having crossed the river. Then the Lassin and the Za and Gabala, who inhabit very steep mountains where hot springs rise and flow, and the Atalmo and the Beja and all the peoples who erect their tents with it. Having defeated the Taigaton, who dwell up to the frontiers of Egypt, I had a road constructed going from the lands of my empire to Egypt. Then I fought the Anin and the Metin, who live on precipitous mountains, as well as the people of Sesi. They took refuge on an inaccessible peak, but I besieged them on all sides and captured them and chose among them young men and women, boys and virgins, and I retained also all their goods. I defeated also the barbarian people of Rauso who lived by the aromatics trade in immense plains without water, and the Solate whom I also defeated imposing on them the task of guarding the sea lanes. After I had vanquished and conquered in battles wherein I personally took part, all these people so well protected by their impenetrable mountains, I restricted myself to imposing tribute on them and voluntarily returning their lands. But most people submitted of their own free will and paid me tribute. I sent an expedition by sea and land against the peoples living on either side of the Erythrean Sea, that is the Arabitas, meaning Arabs, and the Kinaidokolpitas. And after subjugating their kings, I commanded them to pay me tribute and charged them with guaranteeing the security of communications on land and sea. I conducted war from Leokakome to the land of the Sabaeans. I am the first and only of the kings, my predecessors, to have subdued all these peoples by the grace given 
to me by the mighty god Ares or Mahram, who also engendered me, meaning the, he gave uh, birth to me or is a, I'm descended from. It is through him that I have submitted to my power all the peoples neighboring my empire in the east of the land of aromatics to the west of the land of Ethiopia and the Sasso. Some I fought myself against others I sent my armies. When I had reestablished peace in the world, which is subject to me, uh, I came to Adulis to sacrifice for the safety of those who navigate on the sea to Zeus, Ares, and Poseidon. So those aren't the actual Greek gods. Those the, that's the Greek transliteration of, of uh, the Aksumite gods. After uniting and reassembling my armies, I set up here this throne and consecrated it to Ares in the 27th year of my reign. So a lot going on in there. Uh, a bit of a lengthy inscription from Gerarat that tells us lots of really interesting things that he was fighting all kinds of people around the Aksumite Empire. So, you know, um, actually, uh, Uncle, do you want to do you want to do you have any commentary uh, for that inscription? Yeah, so just uh, something a little funny. So that this is one of the earliest attestations to the to the area or region called Agame. Mm -hmm. Also, the Agua-speaking people, the Beja-speaking people. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, when it refers to the Nile, it's actually referring to the Tekaze. Okay. So okay. when it's saying this, it's referring to the Semen Mountains. So once upon a time, even fairly recently, we have, a, I think, if I'm not mistaken, either Nathaniel Pierce or James Bruce spoke about the, these mountains having snow on them. Or in case they would say Ashatia. So okay. when they're referring to this area, and this is obviously kind of going with what's going on today, is that the whole region of what we call Walkaib, Sagade, and uh, Salamti is the region that he's speaking about in this uh, inscription. Mm -hmm. So he starts off with the surrounding regions. Uh, the the Awa region, there's still a contestation of what this is. Some people say it's, it might be Adwa, so mm -hmm. the the etymology of Adwa could be Ad Awa. Yeah, and I've then heard that became, as well. Yeah, so you know, it's 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 definitely a possibility. Uh, we don't know, and mm -hmm. it's it's talking about how our borders at this period, going all the way uh, to towards Egypt in the north, mm -hmm. all the way to Arabia in the south, in the middle of, um, across the Red Sea, and then internally the Sudan and the uh, northern Ethiopia and Eritrea. So it, it it's actually quite, um, I guess, uh, an old schematic map of what we can call the Aksumite, the Aksumite. Um, territories yeah so it's, it's pretty interesting a lot of the territories we still don't really know but a good mm -hmm. amount of them we can kind of still see today but that would be my, my point yeah exactly um and what that tells us is we're seeing the aksumites oh also by the way if anyone has any questions please put them in the question box box we'll be doing a question and answer period um after we do our little presentation so just put them in the question box and that's how we'll be answering questions um but yeah so what we see is exactly like uncle said they start expanding outwards in almost every single direction and that's when we see axum start to become a, a traditional empire a, 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 a trading empire um, and we see them at after this start moving seriously towards the red sea and getting involved in uh southern arabian uh, affairs because control and access to the red sea is what allows uh Aksumites to um, control a very important region of the world. Like the Red Sea is incredibly important even right now for trade. Back then, if you were anywhere east, you know, or north of uh, Egypt or even a little bit west, if you wanted to go by sea to India or China or anywhere and do any sort of trading, you have to go through the Red Sea. So if you were to control both sides, that would give you a very um, 
uh, a very special sort of place within uh, global trade at that time. Um, okay. So yeah, that, that inscription is, is speculated to be written by Gedarat. It's not confirmed, but um, yeah. We do know um, Gedarat was probably the first uh, Aksumite king involved in South Arabian affairs, as I was saying. Um, so I'll give a little bit of context just to show you how complicated things were at the time. So we know of four kingdoms in what is Western Yemen right now at the time. So uh, Saba, Himyar, Hadramut, and Kataban, right? Mm -hmm. And so all these four kingdoms were sort of fighting against each other. And Aksum was also getting involved. And there's alliances, people moving back and forth. So... Um, and we see some of these, uh, some of what we know is from inscriptions in, in um, uh, modern day Yemen. So there's one, I'm just going to read real quick. This is a really short one. Um, they agreed together that their war, so this is um, Saba and Aksum when they became allied. They agreed together that their war and their peace should be in unison against anyone that might rise up against them and that in safety and in security, they should be allied together. Okay, so we see um, Aksum, Saba, Hadramut, and Kataban form a large-scale sort of a military alliance against Himyar. So this mm -hmm. is roughly the first, uh, second century. Um, after uh, a bit of time passes, the next king of Saba attacks Hadramut with Aksum. We don't know why. I'd love to get more information on this one day. Uh, but then once they, uh, the Sabaeans attacked um, Hadramut and took it over, conquered their capital, they abandoned the alliance. Um, following that, Himyar and Saba then allied themselves against Aksum, and the Aksumites lost the battle and seemed to lose um, any sort of access to the Red Sea at that point, um, and were expelled from the Himeriyat capital, because the Himeriyat capital was occupied by all the, 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 the allied forces at that time. After that, we get into something uh, really interesting. We this the next uh, period is sort of um, mysterious. We don't know exactly what was going on. We know there was lots of interaction between Aksum and um, uh, uh, again uh, Saudi Arabia, but there's one really important thing before we get to the next stage, which is uh, we get I forget how to pronounce his name. Was it e the gentleman who was the first Aksumite emperor and Dubis to mint coins? So. Uh, Uncle, do you want to tell us why minting coins is so important and um, such a monumental achievement for the Aksumite Empire? Well, one, it, it shows you the economic uh, performance of the country, right? I mean, at this time, we only have, I think, maybe four superpowers that had uh, uh, the ability to mint coins. So it shows you the sophistication of trade, international trade obviously being one and then local being another. It shows also the the resources that the country may have, the economic resources. Uh, obviously, gold being uh, that of the time. Even till now, the Aksumites are known for their gold work. Uh, there are many people that are from Aksum in Saudi Arabia today that are doing gold work, uh, meaning the the actual uh, creating like jewelry and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, so ultimately, show like from from what my, from what I understand, it's to show the economic uh, and military. Um, independence of the of the empire but you can probably see some no no that's, yeah, that's basically exactly it it's profitable it mm -hmm. um it it shows the 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 level the geopolitical level you're at if you're minting your own coins and not using ones by made by other people um it serves also 
as a small form of uh, propaganda, right? Yes, yes, yes. Because yes, yes, yes. you can write on the coins, and we know something. There's a switch in the coins later. It's something very important that we see. Um, very good point, uh, Fabu. All I know is our coins were found in India. They were found in India um, throughout the world. I think also they find foreign coins in Tigray occasionally in places. I think they mm -hmm. found some Chinese coins in yeah, yeah. Debradamo. Is that it? So I think, yeah, I think it is Debradamo, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And there were some coins, Aksumite coins found all the way in the UK, buried somewhere. Really? So, yeah, some scholar was pointing out on Twitter, like they said, it's probably accidental. But he's like, why is it accidental? Why wouldn't it go all the way to uh, um, the UK mm -hmm. at the, the, the time? Obviously, this is like probably 1400, 1500-ish years ago. So... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the, the fact that they started minting coins at that time, and I think I'm pretty sure they used the, um, the, uh, the, 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 what do you call it? The Roman standard. So they were mm -hmm. weighted to the Roman standard so that if you had an ax to my coin, you could go trade easily with the Romans at that time. Okay. Um, after that, we get to the next guy, the next, uh, emperor, Izana. Mm -hmm. Very famous Ethiopian emperor, Aktumai emperor. Can you tell us a little about uh, a little bit about Izana, uncle? What you know? Okay, so uh, as you mentioned, he's probably the the greatest attested Aktumai emperor. Emperor. Uh, mm -hmm. He's known for several things, but one would be obviously his major uh, achievements in terms of military, uh, conquering uh, different lands, uh, going to places like Sudan, again back into the Middle East. Uh, but he's mostly known for the conversion to Christianity. So the documents that you'll find, for example, Gadla, Abraham, Atuha, Awna Salama, and so on and so forth, um, they're they're very important because it shows the establishment of Christianity as being the 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 state religion. Uh, you see contacts with uh, pretty historical people. So, for example, Saint Athanasius, who is a a big person in in Christian theology. Um, you also see the establishment of monasteries. Uh, so Awana Salama being one, uh, Abba Yohani being another. Um, let me see, Izana. Also, um, something that's quite overlooked is that he's he's not just a sole emperor. He's a twin emperor. So there's two emperors at the same time. Yes. So Izana being one and then uh, Saizana being the other. The mm -hmm. throne of Saizana is actually in present-day Addis Ababa, which a lot of oh, people wow. don't know. Yeah. So there's is it a, in a museum? No, no, it's actually, it's, it's a church now, actually. I, mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's Kachene Madhanyanan. Um, I don't remember the, the church name, but it was, it was the throne of a, of a, of a oh my God, Emperor uh, Atwaha or okay. Saizana. So mm -hmm. it, it's interesting to show that uh, he would leave and he would actually have his own throne in another part of the country. Mm -hmm. So I found that interesting. But again, I mean... There is some debate, but what we do know is that there is a cave and there is um, a traditional Aksumite structure in the area uh, mm -hmm. that does go back to that time period. So that, that's also quite interesting to say the least. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, I'll just read, here's another inscription from Izana called, and it's written on something called uh, the Izana Stone because mm -hmm. uh, it was written in, I believe, in three languages, in Giz, in... Um, Sabaean and mm -hmm. also in uh, Greek as because as you were saying they were Hellenized so what, mm -hmm. they, what, what you meant by Hellenized was that 
the elites spoke Greek because Greek was the um, lingua franca of the world at the time, in the same way that English is the lingua franca of the world right now. So if you go to Ethiopia now or to Gray, educated people speak English because that's what you need to speak to talk to people around the world. So that's what the, the Aksumai emperors, uh, emperors did exactly, kind of like the Rosetta Stone. So I'm just going to read from the, uh, the translated uh, inscription right now. The campaign against the Beja, Izanas, king of the Aksumites, the Hemeriates, Redan, the Ethiopians, the Sabaeans, Saleh, Tiamo, the Beja, and Kasu, king of kings, son of the unconquered god Ares. Since the people of the Beja rose up, we sent our brothers Saizana and Adifan to fight them. When these had taken arms against the enemy, they made them submit, and they brought them to us. They brought them to us with their dependents, with three thousand one hundred head of cattle, six thousand of sheep, and beasts of burden. My brothers gave them meat and wheat to eat, and beer and wine and water to drink, all to their satisfaction, whatever their number. There were six chiefs with their peoples, to the number of four thousand four hundred, and they received each day twenty-two thousand loaves of wheat and wine for four months, until my brothers had brought them to me. And after having given them all means of sustenance and clothed them, we installed these prisoners by force in a place in our lands called Matila. When we commanded them that they give us supplies and we accorded to each 25,000 head of cattle. In this sign of recognition to who, he who engendered us, the unconquered Ares, we have raised statues to him, one of gold, one of silver, and three others of brass to his glory. Um, and yes, that's it. And then it's, there's a little uh, a part uh, afterwards dedicated to um, uh, some other uh, Aksumite gods. Who is Maharan? Great question. Um, so before Izana converted to Christianity, he was a pagan. He practiced Semitic paganism, exactly Maharam, god of war. So whenever he says Ares, that's, it's not actually saying Ares. He means Maharam, god of war. We know before, um, they, at that point in time, the Aksumites worshipped essentially four gods. The fourth one kind of fell away. There was Atar, the god of uh, war and uh, love. There was Mahrem, the god of war, who, as we can see, the emperors of Aksum said that they were his seed, they came from him. Meder, the god of earth, and Bahar, the god of, um, exactly, the sea. Um, so there's, this tells us some interesting things. So this is about his campaign against the Beja, who are a people who are still around today. And uh, I think in Western Eritrea and Eastern Sudan and Southeastern Egypt. So they occupy a decent um, uh, area today. So we know that he's, he's talking about how he conquered and subdued these people so that they could um, uh, pay him tribute. Um, someone is asking, um, uh, did, are we saying he, he didn't worship, uh, uh, um, he was not a worshiper of Christ? No, this was just before. Uh, as as um, uncle was saying, he converted. We know when he converted because the coinage at that time switched from showing the moon god, Almaka, and a, a crescent moon to having a cross. So he converted. So that's a, a, a really uh, uh, interesting and fun thing to know. I'm not going to read all of his inscriptions because there's a bunch more. We'd be sitting here all day. Um, uh, after that, we see um, an interesting period where finally the Aksumites gain actual control over Southern Arabia, right? Mm -hmm. So they essentially conquered the Himer at this At this point, the Himeriates had conquered all the other Samaria uh, kingdoms and essentially wiped them out. And it was just the Himeriate kingdom. 
and then the Axumites crossed and conquered um, the the Himerians. Can you tell us anything about this uh, period, uh, Uncle? Yeah, so with, with this period, um, you see a full conquest of uh, southern Arabia. Meaning, like, not like earlier where you see certain kingdoms and whatnot, but you see a direct uh, form of leadership. I mean, uh, there's, there's a, I think there's dams, if I'm not mistaken, and irrigation systems that have inscriptions with uh, Izan. I think Izan's name, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all, and the, the, sim, the similarities is, is quite deep because, like, there, there are certain town names and place names that are in both areas. So can we date it to this time? Probably, probably even earlier. Uh, so that that's a, another one, and we see also um, a large Aksumite presence in that area, in the Himerian uh, area, uh, more so than anywhere else. So that probably means the Aksumite base probably became this uh, this region that we're speaking of right now. Exactly, and I think the guy who conquered it is King uh, Caleb, who's a very famous Ethiopian man yeah, as well. Caleb as well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, can you, is there anything else you can tell us about uh, Caleb? Yeah, so Caleb, uh, the interesting thing is we can probably uh, date a few things to Caleb. Caleb um, mm-hmm. obviously being the father of Nogos uh, Uh We see the nine saints coming to uh, Tigray at this time. So you get uh, Awun Argawi who built Debra Damo. We get Awun Garima who built uh, Debra Merara. We get Awun Abse, Awun Ikanos, Awun Pentagon. The, the nine saints as a whole, right? Uh, and they established monasteries with, uh, throughout the region of Tigray. Um, most famous, obviously, is Debra Damo. And what makes Debra Damo and the Nugus Kalib and Nugus Garmus very important is that, one, uh, there's a proverb in, in Tigrinya about uh, monasticism in Ethiopia. Uh, no, in Giz, actually. It's um, So he who says he has not been born from Awan Argawi is a liar. <laughs> Meaning every monastery has its origin in Devadam or from the nine saints. Uh, so it, it was it's a principal monastery next to Aksum. Aksum uh, St. Mary's Church being um, meaning the head church and monastery of the entire country. So Aksum essentially became not the church itself, but the city and town itself has became a church or a religious site. Uh, and it's been firmly established at this point. Uh, not so much with uh, Abraha Baha, but with uh, Nugus Kali and the Nine Saints. Um, another thing is, uh, some people say it's the swan song of the Aksumai period, meaning the going to the Middle East or back to uh, Yemen and uh, and waging war, obviously, with the, with the I think his name was Dunuas, if I'm not mistaken, the Jewish king. Yes. Yes, in exactly. Najran. So in Najran, you had a strong Christian community there, a large Christian community there that was being persecuted by the by Dunuas, who converted to Judaism. And uh, while this was going on, uh, I think it was a, Rome, a Roman emperor. I forgot his name. I think Constantinus, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Constantine, yeah. Yeah. So, Nugos Caleb... Oh, no, no. At this point, it was uh, Justinian. Yeah, Justinian, sorry. Justinian, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Justinian uh, asks the Aksumites for, uh, for help. So, the Aksumites go. And, uh, obviously, I kind of... Um, of the people of Najran, we call it Nagran. Uh, another reason why this is important because Dusiadid writes this in his um, uh, I mean, in the Metafadukwa. The mm-hmm. basically what was going on, he calls them the martyrs of Nagran, who were killed by or who were persecuted by the quote-unquote evil Jews. Um, and what else was there? So yeah, so you get the swan song. You also get Abra, uh, Abraha. 
So Abraham mm-hmm. was a general sent by uh, Nugus Khalid, who defected, married within the system, and proclaimed himself king of the Himyarites and uh, the Sabians and all of this. And then he goes on to start conquering areas and then makes peace with Nugus Khalid. Um, but what he ends up doing, and this is actually written in the Hadiths, I believe, not in the Quran, but in the Hadiths in Islam, where he's riding on this elephant, uh, going all the way to Mecca. So he's yes. conquering place to place, going up to Mecca. And once he gets just outside, in the Hadiths, it says uh, birds came shooting uh, balls of fire onto the Aksumites, so the, uh, the Abraha. Uh, history tells us there was an outbreak of smallpox. So that was probably what killed uh, a lot of their mm-hmm. army. Uh, and he didn't actually make it into the city of Mecca, but he mm-hmm. made it just outside. Because he, he was on this kind of onslaught of taking over the regions. Mm-hmm. So he, he made it just outside of Mecca, from what, mm-hmm. from what we know. And I believe uh, he, he conquered Jeddah, which is the modern-day capital yes, of Saudi. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, so he, he, did, con- he did conquer Jeddah. Uh, Jeddah and um, there's a few places. I don't exactly remember the names. Mm-hmm. It's in uh, Stuart Heyman Rose's book. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So I uh, we could probably refer to it later, but mm-hmm. that that those are the major things. And also we see with Nugus Kaleb, he is the third emperor to retire and become a monk after his kingship. Mm-hmm. So after making uh, you know getting uh, help from uh, I think Awana Pentelion, he receives uh, you know help and advice, and he says I will go and protect the people in Nagran, and when I come back, he gives his crown to. I believe the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem mm-hmm. and comes back and becomes a monk in Aunab and Delhi in the monastery. Okay. But the, the, the money and the, the, the manpower and everything of going into uh, Yemen at that time probably was the reason why the Aksumites started to become more weak since the financial cost of going there and doing all of this probably was uh, over... Um, how would you put it? It was an abuse to the economic power of the Aksumites. Mm-hmm. It, it, it went above and beyond their means. Especially considering that, um, what's uh, what's the name of the guy who rebelled? Abraha. Abraha. So you're investing all that money into conquering this region, and then you, your main general who's in charge rebels and starts taking the tribute for himself. Mm-hmm. So you invested all of that and didn't get anything out of it, really. Yeah. Exactly. And the funny thing about that is Abraha. Um, marries uh, a person of the, the area and has a mm-hmm. child who is half Aksumite and half uh, Himyarite. Funny mm-hmm. enough, this half Aksumite, half Himyarite child uh, isn't respected amongst the siblings that are full Aksumite. They get mm-hmm. disrespected, he gets disrespected and whatnot. So he feels this uh, sense of otherness. So what he does is, when he becomes older, goes to Persia and asks for help to oust his father out of position. So they come, oh. they talk... Yeah. So they come, they talk, they have all of these things going on, and then what happens is um, in the middle of the night, they, they literally behead everybody, and they kill his father. Not only that, he becomes a nobody. So the Persians now have came and took over everything all the way up to Yemen at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's funny how things went out well, where you get this general who defies his people, the, meaning the Aksa Nugus Khalid, but then in turn, his own son turns on him. Well, I didn't know it was his son who called the Persians. I know the Persians came, but mm-hmm. that, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And that, that caused a, a huge problem for the Aksumite Empire because 
they couldn't stand up against the the Persians mm -hmm. and they couldn't control the trade now in the Red Sea. So they were reduced in power um, going forward from that point in time. Exactly. Um, you you touched, <laughs> Ghazi, <laughs> you touched on uh, basically everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else you can expand on for the nine saints? And and uh, can you tell people like what, what exactly they were and how important they are to Aksum and Christianity in our region? So the nine saints, uh, as I mentioned earlier, were, were like the quote-unquote godfathers of monasticism in Ethiopia. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that monasticism wasn't necessarily there before them, but they did develop and establish major monasteries in which many of the saints of uh, more central Ethiopia derive their uh, monastic um, lineage from. So to be, when you become a monk, you have a monastic father, meaning the person who has consecrated you as a monk. Okay. So let's say if I go to Abagarima Monastery, there'll be a, the, an abbot there who would be called the Komos. So Komos would, be, would mean the head of a church, the head of a monastery, that, that's uh, a monk. Uh, not only a monk, he's like Busul like he's well studied, well mannered, so on and so forth. So when I go become a monk, I have a monk father, who the person who made me a monk. And then you have a lineage because there's somebody who made him a monk. So people like uh, our saints like Awana Taklaimanu, Awana Iyasus Mu'a, Awana Samuel, Awana Medhani Igzi, Awana Adi Igzi, they all have lineage. So all of these saints, their lineage in terms of monasticism goes to Awana Aragal. Uh, from the nine saints. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the major things about the nine saints is that they've established monasteries, which were not just monasteries for monasticism, but they're also centers of education. Uh, we see the fidel become be developed into what we see it today during um, Izana and Awana uh, Salama. And you see the Bible being translated in all these monasteries, the nine saints monasteries, to which we still have today the Awana Garima Gospels. These are the oldest Gospels that we have in the world, oldest illuminated Gospels, mm -hmm. uh, meaning with having pictures and, and so on and so forth. Um, we dated 1500, uh, over 1500 years ago. Um, another thing as well is you have things like mathematics, you have things like uh, astro uh, astronomy, I think astrology or astronomy? Astronomy. Astrology, yeah, yeah. Astrology, yeah. Well, astrology. both, actually. No, yeah. Yeah, both. Um, and so many other things as well in these uh, schools of thought. Also philosophy. Philosophy was a major uh, school in and of itself. So the Kenya system is not just poetry, but it's also philosophy. Okay. So you learn you learn how to philosophize. You learn how to uh, practice this wax and gold tradition, right? Of giving like hidden meanings to things. So um, you know a lot of these things are being developed. Singing, chanting. The oldest notations that we have uh, are the the St. Yard's um, Dugwa. So St. Yard is actually attached to Aun Aragawi and the Nine Saints, especially Aun Aragawi and Aun Garima, in which mm -hmm. if you go to the Metzaf Dugwa, large sections of it are directly given just to the, the Nine Saints in and of itself. Um, so we see development in the Aksumite culture, language, philosophy, thinking, and the religious sense of things. So the church has, be, has been given this more, um, how can I put this? A more structured body and a more um, more of a foundational uh, feeling within the community. Things okay. are obviously in the lingua franca, so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then what do we see uh, uh, next after this? We also see a really interesting, and I think you would know about this, 
Um, so that's the tie to Christianity that Aksum has, right? Mm-hmm. We, we know uh, roughly 100 years after the period we were just talking about, it's roughly the 500s, 500s mm-hmm. we see uh, a man coming from Mecca to Aksum seeking refuge. Could you tell <laughs> us about that? Yeah, so we have Emperor Illa Sahama. Mm-hmm. I think it's Illa Sahama or Illa Sahama. Uh, okay. This is the Aksumite king at the time where the the early followers of Islam uh, with the Prophet Muhammad uh, came to the Aksumite emperor for protection. So the, the Quraysh tribe of the Arabs in uh, Saudi Arabia were persecuting the early Muslims, so they came. Uh, Aksum was known as being this place that was very accepting, very protective, very... Um, hospitable so the prophets at the the prophet muhammad's uh nanny actually was an Aksumite. uh so oh. what so what we see is um a lot of people in fact are in in the quran uh, are with the, that are with the, the prophet are actually from Aksum. so we see Bilal, for example who is mm-hmm. known to be an ethiopian uh we also see of course the nanny of the of the prophet so there's a lot of words in the quran in and of itself that are of Aksumite giz origin so, uh, example, the word, I think, I forgot, um, the word for chairman originates from Giz. I forgot the name of the word. Um, I think, uh, me- member, member, I think they, they use the word yeah. member, but it's menver. So the root doesn't occur in Arabic, but it does occur in Giz, which is Navara. <laughs> so Navara, Yinabar, 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 Navirot, Navari, Navarian. And then as you go down the conjugation, the word menver comes up, which becomes chairman. Uh, we also see the word Tawheed, Tawahiro, uh, so on and so forth. So there, there are many cognates that we see in the Quran that are actually of Giz origin. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, yeah, so the, the, the followers of Islam comes to Aksum and El-Sahama, who is called a Najashi, which would actually be the Nagasi. So Nagasi is another yeah. word for king. It just so, means king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they go to the, just like Pharaoh, right? Like in the Old Testament and in the Quran, there's always this person named Pharaoh and Pharaoh and Pharaoh and Pharaoh, but that's just the title. Of the Egyptian uh, emperor, so so they go to the uh, to the Aksumites and they receive uh, protection from them. So th- it was actually said, um, "Do not harm the Ethiopians or the uh, the Habasha unless they are on the offensive." So the the, the Aksumites were given this protection from Islam in the religion in and of itself. Amazing. Um, okay, you know what? Considering where we are now. Uh, in terms of time, because I know we only have like an hour. Um, I think we'll probably save the second half of the the my Empire and some really fun stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Yodits next uh, next time. We might do it today if we have time. Um, yeah, Muslims believe, some people believe he converted to Islam. I don't think it says that in the Quran, though. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like in Ethiopia, we don't have this tradition where the king became Muslim. Mm-hmm. So... We don't say that. Uh, no. <laughs> there's nothing explicit in the Quran or in the Hadith that say mm-hmm. anything about his conversion. They do say that the Prophet recited the, uh, I think, prayers, uh, prayers for him uh, outside of him being present, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in and of itself, it's not set in stone. But we, we of course, like we don't say he be, he was Muslim at all. Yeah. Because uh, ultimately, if he was Muslim, the country would have more than likely became Muslim. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to switch over to the question and answer period. Um, if you guys have any questions, put them in the question box and we'll get to them. So the first one is someone wanted to know 
um, they said um, they were in Aksum and they were going down the steps somewhere and the steps were really big and difficult for them to walk down and they asked the guide why and the guide said people were taller back then and they asked me what did that mean and I said I don't know so uncle do you know what they meant by that? Uh, I mean there are different <laughs> um, theories and understandings right we hear uh, stories of these giant people okay um, you know so another thing too is also probably the the origins of of the people that were there but mm-hmm. a lot of times when you see people in the lowlands they're more narrower but taller mm-hmm. so for example um a place like Arwan Aksum which is very mountainous you generally get short people um but then when you go more towards like Adigrat uh people are a lot more taller uh, so it could be something related to that uh like example i believe if i'm not mistaken uh Zana's wife is from Woro. Okay. Yeah, so that's why his monastery is in Woro today. So mm-hmm. in the hagiography, I believe it says that yeah, she's from there. So people in Woro and Agame are actually much taller. So it could mean like there's this group of people that were not necessarily from born and raised in Aksum, but probably mm-hmm. raised somewhere else that were taller than the, the people there. People like us, born and raised in the West, going back home, we're much taller than everyone. Yeah. So it could be due to nutrition. It could be due to mm-hmm. environment. So many different things. So I mean, you never know. <laughs> you never know, man. I don't know. I I don't know about the giants, but you know, <laughs> I, I've heard, I've heard this before. So you have heard it before? Yeah, people. Yeah, like if you hear what uh, the locals will say, they're like, yeah, they're giants. Okay, interesting. Um, will this live be uh, saved? Um, yeah, yes, we'll save it. I, I, <laughs> apparently, I'm not that great at saving it. I'll do my best. Um, next one. Was there any debates around the credibility of the nine saints back then? Agazi D wants to know. Okay, so with the nine saints, they, they weren't just nine saints or nine uh, fathers that came. Uh, there mm-hmm. was actually a, an issue going on in, in Europe, which was uh, the, the ecumenical council. So with, with Christianity, whatever flavor you want to call it, um, in the early church, it was one church. And what, would we, what there would be is that if there was some kind of heretical belief or uh, disagreements, they would have these councils. So there would be local councils and then there would be ecumenical councils. So with the, the early church, you have the ecumenical councils, starting with uh, Nicaea, Ephesus, uh, I believe Constantinople, yeah, yeah, um, Constantinople, Ephesus, then uh, Chalcedon. Chalcedon, so the, yes. So the Council of Chalcedon, what made it significant was that you get the divide between Oriental and Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism obviously being the same at that time. And it was due to the, con- the, the conversation of the nature of Christ and how they understood it. There was a heretic called Eutychus that said that Christ's nature was purely divine and the human nature was absorbed and you know so on and so forth but not to really get into theology but <laughs> there was there was issues there so after that divide there's persecution on the oriental orthodox so if you're oriental orthodox meaning egyptian ethiopian syrian indian uh, armenian you're persecuted so obviously just like how uh, muhammad heard and said oh this is a land of peace and you know uh, hospitability and all these things Nine saints and people from Syria and uh, and from Egypt knew about this, so they came. Oh, okay. So, so I believe I don't know if it's Gadla and uh, Elion, but there there's a document in which it says hundreds of people came. 
Oh. And when all of these people were tested, they seen that there was like ill-intented people, so on and so forth. And out of these hundreds of people, nine holy people were found. And those holy people, those nine holy people that came genuinely out of persecution and whatnot, were the nine saints. So they were given, you know, a, a special place in the country. They got to study and live in Aksum for a long period of time under the king. And after studying in Aksum, as Aksum was a great university at this time, meaning for theology and uh, language and whatever. Like people knew Greek, people were translating from Greek to to Gittes, Hebrew to Gittes, so on and so forth. So it wasn't just this small town that we see it today. It was it was a metropolis. It was it was big. So nine saints obviously studied there for over ten, I think ten to ten to fifteen years, and uh, were commissioned to to leave. Uh, so they were quite genuine in terms of their religious beliefs and whatnot. Okay. Um, next question. Um, I was told by someone to ask, okay, that we already, we already asked that. Um, uh, Shawita asked, is this the same Beja that exists currently? Yeah, that's what they think. Yeah, the ones we were talking about previously. Um, Belbib asks, when did the Aksumite Empire morph into the Ethiopian Empire and what was that process like? All right. Um, what, do you, what do you say, Uncle? Uh, I think the, the, the confusion was that um, the Aksumites never referred to themselves as, as Ethiopians uh, unless writing in Greek. And they wrote in Greek, they called themselves Ethiopians. Kind of like when they referred to Maharam, they would write Aries in Greek, exactly. even though they're not the same. Uh, and I think another thing was because we colonized the quote-unquote Ethiopians uh, or the Sudanese, uh, mm-hmm. or like like example, the Ethiopian in Hebrew is Kush. We yeah. the Aksumites know Kush as Kasu. So as we mm-hmm. heard before earlier, one of the peoples or groups colonized was Kasu. Um, I mean, for the real Ethiopians, it'd be hard to say. Uh, not only that, I mean, when we started really referring to ourselves as Ethiopians outside the context of Greek. Is also kind of hard to say, but we do know that in writings like Mitzaf uh, Dugwa, we see uh, Saint Yared calling ourselves Ethiopians. Okay. Uh, and I think that was more of a, a way of connecting the Aksumites to a biblical people. So the Ethiopians, like Ethiopia, was just this non-demarcated area. It didn't mean a given country. It was just oh, the people's south of Egypt. Oh, yeah, far south, we don't really know. Uh, and then the relationship between. The Aksumites and the Sudanese, uh, the Nubians and whatnot, we don't really know. Pre-Aksumite or pre-Damut. So I like to believe that there is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And how I do this is I look at the word now in both languages. And um, obviously Sudan speaking Arabic, there are traces of their, their more archaic language in there. So the word for now in Arabic is something else. But the word that they use in Sudan is Hasi. Hasi becomes Hezi. Hizi mm. becomes Hiyi, which becomes Hiji in places like Arta, Rama, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the original word mean, being Hizi. So Hizi and Hasi and Hasi are are very much related, I believe. Okay. So I don't. I could only imagine the other words. So I mean, again, it's kind of weird. I wouldn't put a thing on it. But what would you say yourself? Basically, exactly what you said. They kind of like appropriated the name from from Kush. And also used it as a way of um, using a word that the rest of the world knew, instead. And and then you know over time it became associated with us. And yeah, exactly what you said. Um, 
Let's see, what else is there? Okay, I got a question for you. I've been excited to ask you this question. That's why I was hoping you'd come today. Have you <laughs> ever heard anything about shadow people or invisible people? If anyone else in the comments has heard anything about shadow people or invisible people, please please comment and say, yeah, yeah, yes, I have. Or have you ever heard anything like that, Uncle? I actually have in while I was in Tigray. And it was weird because, I mean, like, I don't really, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I don't believe I it either. But. Yeah. But I, <laughs> what I found funny about it was that, uh, I don't know if it was just shirts or whatever, but I would see shadows sometimes by accident at the corner of my eye. <laughs> so maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. people, I, I have heard like uh, invisible people like, yeah, you don't see them, but they're there. Uh, and so many different like superstitious uh, ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the thing is, these uh, quote-unquote black magic guys, uh, they have a stronghold in uh, the paranoia of Habesha. Mm-hmm. So, so whatever they say, I mean, they can kinda, they can put a lot into it, right? So, but ultimately, yeah, yeah like I, I've heard very small things about it, and it's mm-hmm. just that yeah, there's there are people that can turn invisible. There are people that can turn into hyenas. And then mm-hmm. there's also, sh- you'll see shadows on the floor, but nothing actually there. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, th- that's as far as my knowledge of it. But I have heard of these, uh, these things. Yeah, Showeed said something interesting that they leave injera and the mesop for them. I've heard that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they can come and take it at night. Here's the I story I heard. Sorry, <laughs> it's just some It's just some guy just like, oh, they left the injera again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> But yeah, invisible people, correct, invisible people. So I just say shadow people because that's, but my mom told me about this. There's these invisible people who live in a different realm. They can go invisible whenever they feel like, and they live in a different realm that's parallel to ours. And then the story behind it is that when Adam and Eve had their children, they had uh, God knows how many children, like I think the number is 80. And then when God asked Eve to show uh, uh, him all his children and Eve hid 40 of her most beautiful children because she was scared that God would ask them uh, as a a sacrifice and God found out and he punished her by making them invisible so no one could see their beauty and so now they live in like a different area that people can't see but they can go invisible whenever they choose and make themselves seen and um yeah that's what i've heard and also that you know they go out i don't know if you've ever heard this sometimes people will see fires out in the night and that loud noise but when they go up to it there's nothing there mm-hmm. so that that's the stuff i've heard and obviously this is you know just our superstition i'm glad someone else has heard the mesop thing if anyone else has heard anything <laughs> like that write in the comments what what have you heard about these people oh and what my mom called them was zarti but i don't zarti. i think yeah, yeah. Is but does zarti have another meaning? I think it does. Do you? What would you say zarti is? I don't know. Like, like doesn't it okay, also so mean like, witch? Yeah, you know, it also means like demon or something like that. So okay. Uh, okay. So the 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 story with uh, Awana Yimata, one of the nine saints, is mm-hmm. that he, obviously him being a holy man, he came to the area of Wajarat. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't called. Like, this is the the cultural or like the. The religious understanding of the the name and where it comes from is that when he came to the area, he seen that there was people worshiping demons or believing in like demons and whatnot. So 
when he came, he said, why Zara? Why Zara? And that's where you get why Zarat. Zarat meaning more than one. Mm-hmm. And then Za becoming Ja, like in Hizzi, you get Hijji. Mm-hmm. Why Zarat? Why Jarat? Why Jarat? So the word for Wazema comes from Why Zema. Why Zema. Right? So Why Jarat comes from Why Zarat. So these these demons or whatever you want to call them, right? <laughs> he, came, he, he kicked them out of the area and then mm-hmm. banished them somewhere else. That's how the story okay. goes. That's very so, interesting. So that that is very much connected. So Zarti and Zara. Mm-hmm. Zarti is like the, obviously the the plural uh, in Tigrinya. Okay. The plural in Giz would be Zarat. Um, someone said Deki Deki Adertna. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? I'm not too sure to be honest. Well, they said it multiple times, but yeah, it's interesting what I always find our our superstitions interesting because we're so Christian. There's so little stuff. You know what I mean? Outside of stuff from the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I always find that okay. So someone else says I have heard Deki Hederti by my grandmother. So apparently this is a thing other people have heard of. Okay. Hederti. Okay. Okay. Oh, maybe that's sure, what these but... people are called. These invisible yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, Deki. Do you see that? Can you see that, Uncle Deki? They wrote it. Deki. Hedertena. 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 Okay. Hedertena. 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 Okay. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I, I haven't heard of it, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that is something. That, the, the thing is, a lot of times the things back home, uh, they keep it on this hush hush so they don't mm. really talk about it openly. Like, oh, let's they hear you. Yeah, or they might yeah. secretly kind of, you know, over coffee. Mm-hmm. It might come up. That's uh, that's interesting. Someone said, "Feb, what said? I think that's more an Eritrean folktale." Feb, well, I'm not. I'm not Eritrean. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Eritreans, <laughs> but you know, and we share lots of cultures, so maybe. <laughs> uh, Zarti is someone said. I just know Zarti is Tabala i Nepsi. Tabala i Nepsi. Okay, so somebody who eats spirits or oh uh, souls, yeah. Oh my God! Okay, soul eaters. Okay, um, <laughs> we got maybe like four minutes left. Is there anything else you want to tell us about the the Aksumite Empire around that time, from you know 100 AD to like uh, 600ish AD, Uncle? Is there anything you want to say to cap it off? Okay, yeah. So just um, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, the there was not a lot that we knew. We only had so much information, well, but we have inscriptions, thankfully. Uh, somebody said earlier in the comments, um, there was a, there's two places, Mahavaradegwe, um, uh, which is an important monastery and church, right? Uh, it's also mm-hmm. called Adkan, which is, uh, well, it said that Christ has actually went to that area when he went mm-hmm. to Egypt with his mother. Uh, another thing too is St. Matthew, the apostle, uh, visited the area. So some things that, that date to the first century uh, you can find there. As well as um, being uh, a place of, of Christian thought prior to the conversion of uh, Nugu Sizana. So there were, there were some local Christians and also foreigners that were in the area that were there. So we do see that. Uh, we, do, we also see uh, uh, Jewish uh, enclaves, in, especially in areas like Shira. Mm-hmm. Um, the co- the topic of Walkat actually comes up in some of the inscriptions. I know there's hundreds of inscriptions. We can't go through all of them, but 
There is one where uh, Izana goes to Walkite, uh, or this place called yes, WLQYT. Mm-hmm. So uh, the topic of that area and oh, who does it belong to and blah blah blah. I mean, if you go far back <laughs> enough, I mean, we can kind of see. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people can pick up what we're laying down. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> are Buddhas real? Uh, I don't think so. What does the church think so, Uncle? Depends who you ask. Some people really? will say yes. Some people will say, oh, it's foolishness. Okay, so it, it wow. really, yeah. So really, like, the church is not even really this uh, unified system. It's mm-hmm. a conglomerate of groups and ideas. Uh, so, for oh, okay. example, Buddha and and so on and so forth like i remember uh so my dad would tell me his because he grew up with his uncle and his uncle was actually uh, a monk from one of the monasteries he actually went on to establish uh Beit he's one mm-hmm. of the four founders of, of that school in Adagaz. and he would say uh, if you believe it it's real if you believe it it can be real so i mean mm-hmm. uh, he's, this is a fallacy of Deborah Bunko, right? he, he used to be a fallacy and uh he's mm-hmm. like yeah, if you believe this uh stuff It'll be real for you. But <laughs> so showing that like from person to person and place to place, there's different ideas. Yeah. The church doesn't officially endorse anything mm-hmm. uh, outside of its dogmatic uh, teachings, which is okay. obviously the nature of Christ, Trinity, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's it. We're close. I got to keep an eye on the time. I don't want to get shunted off like we did the yeah. first one, if you remember. So <laughs> yeah, we got like sure. two minutes left. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for this. Um, we're going to be back in the next two weeks talking about the second half of the the Aksumai Empire. Um, Uncle, hopefully you'll be there because I, I want to talk about uh, Yodit and hopefully yes, you yes. know you'll have some uh, some commentary about Yodit because I have some interesting stuff. Yeah, it says 25 seconds remaining. Good timing for me. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll back be back in two weeks. All right. Salam Ciao, ciao. I uh, think it. I just gotta figure out how to.